What's good, everyone? It's the Puerto Rican Powerhouse, the Mike for Hire, the podcast, Mercenary Christian Joel Ramos back at it again with a brand new review. And today we are going to continue reviewing the Amazon Prime original series, The Boys. And we're leaving, where do we leave off? I think we're on episode three from season two called Over the Hill with Swords of a Thousand Men. What a badass title for an episode. Sounds like a movie film title, like an old samurai film. Uh, so yeah, this episode's pretty uh, intense. Let's just go to my notes. What did I write? Oh yes, we start off with... Um, Billy Butcher and Huey Campbell are talking on a yacht. Um, Huey's just looking off in the distance. He doesn't seem like he's actually there. He's kind of like in his uh, lost in his own train of thought, kind of having a self-reflective, what do you call those things, existential crisis. But then again, Huey's always having an existential crisis because Huey's just a flake. He's just one of those guys that he's like a regular person caught in something bigger than he can handle. He's surrounded by these... uh, I, dare I say, anti-heroes fighting the man, fighting the powers that be, and he's just a dude that works at a damn, worked at a damn radio shack, and now he's here doing the most, and he's out of his element, so he's definitely just thinking of all the things happening between him, trying to get, um, I guess, vengeance or revenge for his uh, exes, well, not ex, you know, his widow's, you know, soon he was going to get married, so his widow's death, like his whole thing was to get even with uh, A-Train and trying to figure out the soups are like kind of out them for what they really truly are and not, you know, they're not exactly heroes, but they pick up human beings with, you know, abusing their powers. But then he's caught up with, you know, Starlight and, you know, Annie, and he doesn't know what exactly he wants with her. Like, at first he was trying to manipulate her, but then he falls in love with her. It's this whole big soap opera thing with Huey. Like, everything's just so over the top. We're butchering the hands, like, gets over things quickly. So they're there talking to each other and Huey gives Butcher the biggest receipt and goes ape shit. He just throws a haymaker right into Butcher's face. It barely phases Butcher, but it's almost like, huh, this kid's got some fight in him. And then they start like, you know, almost like fighting, but then Mother's Milk comes in and just breaks it and separates it and puts him on different sides. So Butcher is calling his ex-boss, who is in the, I believe CIA, has retired she doesn't really have direct connections or orders uh she has no power but she has connections in the right parts of you know she it's not like you just forget who you know from where you work and her connections are all tied up with what's going on because as far as kimiko's brother kenji he is public enemy number one a super terrorist that's out in the loose and these guys are harboring him so they're harboring a terrorist so shit gets real these guys are like you know in the deep end, if they get caught anywhere, they're screwed. So they kind of have to watch and stay low key as much as they can. If not, they're just, you know, it, it is what it is. They're going to get go to prison. And the CIA leader ain't exactly going to, she's going to burn them. She's going to burn them. She's not going to have any ties. Like, I don't know who this butcher, I mean, she knows what a butcher is, but she has like no idea, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you get, they get caught, it's all them. Because all she promised them was to get them a ride to and from where they have to go. So here we go. We have uh, Kimiko is talking uh, talking it out with her brainwashed brother. I mean, he's been brainwashed to the point that he's doing bad things for the sake of this um, 
I forgot the name of the damn group. This gang, I guess you could call it. That forcefully took him away from his family, mind you. But it's, again, it's it's circumstantial, you know. It happens all the time with child soldiers worldwide in real life. So this is not too far from reality. So he, they're talking. And Frenchie's trying to have a heart-to-heart with Kenji about um, trying to get Kimiko back to being herself. Because she's just not herself right now. And he's resistant to speak, but caves in for some hydration. I think he gives him like an energy drink or something just so he can speak. And they have this moment and, you know, Kenji talks, vents a little, lets him know how she feels. And, she, you know, Frenchie is trying to get through him and finally he has a breakthrough. We move on to uh, where a producer is pitching a seven movie series, almost like the Justice League, you know, just like this big, you know, tentpole like blockbuster films, except Homelander isn't there. All of the seven are there, except for Homelander, who's still probably at his uh, baby mama's house, who's actually Butcher's wife. And, you know, he's still there from the day before, tormenting her while he's trying to get a reaction out of his own son to see if you know his powers are actually there because it's almost like when gohan was raised by chi chi and goku was you know trying to see if he still has the superpowers but he had he's been lacking on practice so he hasn't been to the point where he's been that strong in a long time if you ever watch dragon ball that's a reference i made <laughs> so here we got where um a producer is pitching this movie he's like a big time Hollywood producer because you know Vod's all about making money making that cheddar and Homelander's not there but so Stormfront just kind of just puts her two cents and she has many headlines about the current script and she's just not happy with it at all she's like this is a shit script but she says it nicely in a Hollywood kind of way where she's being nice like passive aggressively nice about it well yeah you know we could change a couple things here and there and it's just a funny moment because Stormfront doesn't give no fucks she just speaks her mind she has no sense of uh consequence i guess she has like the epitome of a no fucks given attitude like she just speaks her mind and she is very confident in what she's saying so at this moment the pr lady for the seven who pretty much runs the show for them like their personal manager agent she gets a a notification on her phone that sets her off and then she storms out of the boardroom and leaves the seven to Continue the pitch with the producer that's there and let the meeting continue as they she goes backstage and handles her biz So she's storming out apparently get this compound V is outed by the news Annie's and geckos little uh, Stealth covert recon mission was a success So the news obviously got a hold of the compound V and is spreading word. This is the biggest breakthrough in the show like I'm like, it's already happening. It's only season two. It's like, it's crazy how this stuff is actually moving forward. It's actually moving the story. Like, okay, this is a big one. This is definitely like, you know, front page world headline news that these so-called um, gifted humans are just lab experiments. And now there's this is out in the open. It's become like this big thing. And obviously there's a target on bot now because they've enabled this shit houses heroes and almost like represents them like clients and essentially gives them all the tools they need to become even stronger powerhouses let alone if they're the ones giving these kind of steroids to the people then it's also some human rights violations going on as well we go to a different scene where the deep speaks about his experiences about gaining powers and his whole like you know freakish like childhood uh, upbringing where people were making fun of him and he was just talking to fish and he thought he was going crazy talking to fish 
and then he realized his powers are real and it's just that whole like coming of age story which i'm you know it's not an excuse for his behavior but it definitely gives us an insight on how he grew up and he's human he's got a life he's you know he grew up as a you know kid with the self-conscious kid as it was trying to become a man let alone a superman you know a superhero of some sort super being so we move on homelander's son oh lord from here we go on where homelander's son is having oh by the way it's a deep talking about this with the cult leader or the psychiatrist of the cult and um the archer friend they're just they're venting it out so they're just having a heart to heart that's what happened here so we move on now we're homelander at his son's house having breakfast and proceeds to toss him off the freaking roof like he literally almost like in what in water world where kevin costner like tosses the cat off the boat so he can learn to swim on the spot that's some old school method but it works so here we got homelander's trying to talk to his kid he's like hey don't worry uh you know how to fly I just don't know it yet and no he didn't the kid fell off the roof and got scared and he had one of those moments where he just freaked the hell out he's like his dad's trying to help him but he's just homelander just forcing it out of him like this kid again has been sheltered severely like he doesn't even have friends let alone he's not trained to be a soup he just happens to have the soup powers and then you know obviously butcher's wife is like hysterical that this guy is just coming here and trying to poison his son's head with ideas of superpower progress when that's not what he wants for her child which i mean it's what he wants not what she wants and homelander's son is just his he shows some effort because he pushes him back and his eyes start glowing but he's like telling him to go screw and like goes back into the house he just wants to be a normal kid he doesn't want the pressures of being a superhero or soup whatever you want to call it a super being there we go so back where kenji uh is using this remember the last scene where kenji was tied up in the yacht and then you had frenchie come in and have a one-on-one -on -one session with him well when he gave him a drink he put it aside but again kenji was ripping through his tape that he was tied his hands together with. So he was able to one finger, like technically move a can close enough where he can um, grab it so he can cut himself open. So yes, Kenji is now free. And then we move on to the next scene where Homelander is. In another scene, Homelander's talking to Maeve, just venting about all the things he's going through with uh, Becca and her son and how, you know, she's pretty much fish out of water in parenting because he hasn't been there to raise his son alongside with Becca Butcher. But of course he's not because he's a freaking sociopathic superhero who has no right to freaking be there at fucking all. Like he, he is the anti of what she wants to raise her son like. He's only a superhero by circumstance because Homelander forced himself and raped her and she got pregnant and gave birth to a superhero. So, I mean, super child, a mutant. Let's just leave it at that, mutant. And so he's there talking to Maeve and they're having an event session. And then this is where uh, Homelander brings up the name of Elena, I think, which is her, Maeve's secret girlfriend. And, but he doesn't get too into detail. He just asks, so is this friend of yours? They're like, or is there a friend of yours? You know, like kind of giving the hint, hint. And then Maeve's like, oh, you don't know what's going on, do you? And this is where Homelander's been gone for so long. He doesn't realize that, you know, doesn't watch the news or his updates about how Compound V has been outed. Like they know the, the general public knows about Compound B now, so he, he, it's 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 out there. He's like, it's like shit. It's news to me at this point. 
So we move onward back in the yacht in the middle of the ocean where the boys are being stopped by the NYPD via helicopter. So they're on chopper. Uh, they found the boys because they're on a registered yacht. So this was a borrowed boat, yes, but someone was going to notice because it wasn't borrowed with permission. <laughs> and it's in the middle of the ocean. I'm assuming it's in the Hudson Bay or something because they're like somewhere near where the NYPD would be nearby. They don't go on a chopper in the middle of the Atlantic. So obviously they're definitely near the right there in the coastline of the ocean and the East Coast right there. Somewhere off, probably like near Jersey. Because when you're public enemy number one, the last thing you want to do is be caught in public. So they've got to stay low and find somewhere else they could just blend in. But at this moment where Butcher's got a megaphone and he's trying to talk to the cops or whatever, I think it's either megaphone or over intercom through like a big... Yacht has a thing, a, a megaphone attached to it where he's talking through a little calm thing. And Kinniko's brother uses his psychic powers to throw the anchor at him, luckily misses, but it hits the chopper. So the chopper goes down and the, the NYPD just falls from the sky. And this is where a moment where you're like, they have to, it's their moment to escape. But at the same time, Huey's like, we gotta save them. We can't just let them die in the ocean. And then Butcher looks at him and says, listen, you can try to save them, but they're already dead. That that definitely the impact killed them. It would if it wasn't the impact, it, the explosion afterwards that killed them. So they're not alive. You can think they are, but they're not. Let's just go and escape while we can. And you know, he, he takes it for what it is. He wants to help them out, but it is what it is. There, it, it's a circumstance where Chemical's brother is uh, retaliating at them, and they gotta tie him up again. So the seven are. Back to the seven, because at this point we're back to the seven. We're being briefed by their boss, played by John John Carlos Mosito, right? He's there telling, "Hey, I got this whole thing on what we say about we didn't know what Compound B was, and kind of like covering up their own messes." Because at this point, they are going to get sued up their asses in litigation from all this testing of children. If the news breaks, these parents, some of them speak, then definitely they're going down as a corporation. So the boys are attacked by the whales with the deep who pulls up riding a humpback whale. Mind you, there's killer whales. I think there are sharks in the ocean. They're following them on their yacht. It's trying to escape. And Butcher plows through a freaking humpback whale. The deep using the whale as a sort of barricade so they can't escape into some sort of like beach where there's a tunnels to the, to the um, sewers. And then Butcher just speeds up the yacht and rips through the whale and gets inside of it, fatality style. It's disgusting. And at this point, they're all pretty shocked. They're like, we're inside the guts of a whale. And um, Huey goes into shock again. Second time in two seasons, Huey goes into shock. Wow, what a shocker, right? And he tries, Butcher tries to get him, but Huey's just trying to catch a second wind. Mother's milk goes back for him because he's like, you can't leave the guy in shock instead of a freaking whale's guts. He's gonna just stay there. Like he's gonna get caught as they're being chased. Get him. So Mother's milk knocks Huey back into his senses so he can focus on the mission at hand. And here we go on to where they go into the tunnels to escape the police. The deep is knocked out because he got hit with the yacht and bounced off the whale. He is awoken by the seven who arrive as they're trying to chase the boys. And he's confronted by Starlight. Why the hell are you even here? You have been excommunicated to Cleveland of all places, so you wouldn't be near us. And she was letting him have it because this is the guy that sexually assaulted her. But you know, it's it's this moment where um, 
Homelander and Stormfront are both telling Starlight's just, hey, we're in a mission. Let's worry about this shit afterwards. Let's get this done. Starlight's in the tunnels. They're trying to find the boys. And she catches up with Huey on the ground. But Homelander's there and forces her to kill him in front of him just to make sure she's on their side. So luckily, Butcher interrupts them and six uh, Kenji, Kimiko's brother, on Homelander. And the damn tunnel collapses on them where the highway pops up. And here we go where Stormfront catches up to Kimiko and her brother and attacks. And apparently the bitch is racist. <laughs> like, I didn't, I had to like Google search what Stormfront's character was. And the first thing I get is a propaganda Nazi, neo-Nazi website. Like, oh, no shit. It's like right on the nose. Stormfront is literally named after this freaking uh, Holocaust denying uh, neo-Nazi group that thinks, you know, they're better than everybody else because they're pieces of shits. So this is what her character is and it's also a red herring because if you didn't read if you read the boy's graphic novel or comic book the stormfront character was very obvious had a fucking like nazi flag for for a cape and was a man with like you know very like slick back hair who has an appearance that looks militant and very much has this like stereotypical aryan race bastard look that you wouldn't see in movies like the glorious bastards or any like world war ii film except he's not blonde and blue-eyed he just happens to be the guy that appreciates that kind of stuff because apparently he in the graphic novel i'm looking at the wikipedias without giving too much of the show away the character in the graphic novel was the very first superhero slash super soldier and was created during world war ii and this character must be like in her 70s eight years old so I'm assuming for the for the TV show they're going with the feminazi route. No, seriously, um, her character is a feminist, but now they've literally turned her into a alt right um, character that caught everyone off guard. Because in the beginning of this season, a lot of males I know, even myself, found this character to be hot because she was very. Uh, she knew herself, she spoke, she was outspoken, she was direct, but we didn't know she was capable of such evil racist acts because she comes in here in the scene where they're fighting in a building and it seems like it's a project or something. It's just a big ass building. And she just up and kills, like, how do I start? It's a chase scene, they're chasing, Kimiko's chasing Kenji and Kenji's being chased by the Seven and the Stormfront is, catching up to Kenji faster because she zaps them all both and attacks and as she's ripping through apartments she has no care of what damages they're doing but not even just that everyone in the apartment she's killing them for fun and it happens to be a family of African Americans so she's killing black people and then she kills other which I'm like okay so this bitch is evil then she's in the hallway following Kenji and there's a one black dude just walking down the stairs and she kills him too like okay that's a coincidence once is a coincidence twice is a trend and then you just notice she just goes and rips through all the apartments. And I'm assuming, oh, this woman's just killing all these black people. Like she's just literally just euthanizing, genociding people for the, just to get, with no care, just to get through Kenji. And when they finally get to the rooftop, she kills them, but calls them a racial slur. I'm like, oh, this is it. Confirm the character is in fact a Nazi-ish, you know, alt-right bitch. So this cunt character of fucking Stormfront, who everyone seems to love in the first few episodes, now you see the real side of her, the side that we don't see. So she presents herself a certain way to the public and behind the scenes, she's pretty much, it's its a woke woman. Or you finally see like this person that comes 
off as cool, uh, very modern age and very forward is in fact uh, just not playing an act, but essentially has a bad side of her that's really bad. Like first off, she's homicidal. But secondly, no, first off, she's racist. Second, I mean, I don't know what's worse. I mean, homicidal, yes, because you're killing people. But she's a homicidal racist who thinks she's better than everybody else. Men, women, doesn't matter. In general, she just has this, like, of course she's a soup. So she's like, obviously, I'm better than the common person, period. But she just sees herself as this, just gift to earth. You know, she's here to do her bidding. And we don't know her true intentions, but this is all the vibe I'm getting from the character. This is like the curveball because the, the show makes you want to like the character at first, but then you see she really is, you're like, oh shit, so there's more to her we don't even know about. She gets off of killing people. So she a freak freak, like she's just, somehow gets this like, I don't want to say orgasmic feeling from killing people, but her eyes like turn black and she's killing people. She's definitely evil, but she's a, Again, it's like it's a Sith and the Jedi, like an infiltration where this is a bad person playing, quote unquote, a good character. So it's uh, it's a nice plot twist because you think someone's good and they're really not. So great character development because you reeled me in right there. So, yeah, this is the end of episode three. Uh, we're going to take a small break for commercial and come back for the review of episode four. Thank you for coming back, everyone. That little break was just, you know, paying the bills. So let's continue with episode four of The Boys. Uh, it's titled, Nothing Like It in the World. So we start off where a woman is venting about relationship problems. What seems to be like in an office almost seems to be like one of these weird scenarios where people are just being open about themselves and just uh, acknowledging their past afflictions. And it's a session, a session with a psychologist, I guess you can say. That it kind of just happens quickly and you don't pay mind to it at first. And then we move on to where Frenchie is doing lines in the bathroom. So we go from one quick scene where this is happening with a character we've never seen to Frenchie, an established character who's doing lines off an iPhone. I, I mean, you know, it's within character, obviously, but and that's where the title of the show starts, The Boys. So then we move on to see where Kimiko's watching the news. Give her brother the biggest bad rep. All the credit for all the 59 deaths that occurred that actually was Stormfront's doing because she's the one that killed these people en route to kill uh, Kenji. She just had no care or no sense of like, you know, controlling her superpowers. She was just storming through like an actual storm and just very on brand. But also, it also showed that she has some ill intention. Like she doesn't care who she hurts because she's not really a hero. She's in it for the glory because that's where you get your money and the power and respect and all that nonsense. So Kimiko's watching and you see Frenchie try to like, kind of like, I don't know, make her feel better by trying to kiss her, but then she pushes them back and it's funny as hell because it's like, Frenchie, you're, this is not the moment to like play, you know, Mr. Smooth guy. Like you, you can be by her side and hold her, you know, but don't try to make out with a woman whose brother just freaking died. You know, this is kind of like wrong timing, bro. Like, you just don't know what the hell you're doing. So Frenchie's just out of his mind. Then again, he's coked out. So, I mean, this guy smacks, schmizhacked, and he's trying to console a woman the wrong way. I mean, you know, it's Frenchie. He's just full of stupid mistakes. 
So we move on to the scene where Homelander is watching the news praise Stormfront in jealousy as he flies off in the woods. And he arrives at a house that seems to be a cabin in the woods. And who's there? None other than Madeline Stilwell in the cabin? What? And he's there talking to her and venting. And, uh, and it's crazy because I'm like, she got killed. We saw her get killed in the previous season. What the hell? Well, it's actually not her. You find out it's actually the character Doppelganger from season one who uh, is used to blackmail people for the sake of thought. And Doppelganger is this really uh, grotesque looking man. Kind of looks like Newman from Friends, but Newman from Friends if he was a mole man. That's the best way to describe him. So Doppelganger is here playing, um, play, playing along with uh, Homelander for his own psychological sick needs because he needs Stillwell's coddling or whatever to survive. Because if not, he's a mama's boy. But he killed his mom. You know, I don't want to say his mom. He killed his um, his. Uh, <laughs> he treated Stillwell like a freaking blanket, and then he got rid of the blanket. And now he regrets it. It is what it is, man. Homelander's a weirdo. He's a fucking screwed up human being. So he's there, jealous, fit, rage, as she's becoming like the number one trending topic in the new face of the seven, essentially. And it's just not sitting well with her as he's at fake stibbles, giving him the whatever word to praise. And he's here to feel confident about himself. And here we move on where it's um, Homelander catches up with Starlight in an elevator in the VOD building and confronts her about Huey and almost like kills her. Well, not kills her, but like presses, puts pressure into her ribs like, hey, you better not fucking lie to me, be honest. And she's like, I'm not. He broke my heart. And she said things that were true, but not necessarily like... I don't want to say half-truths, but the way she was speaking was from the heart and was true. But she left out information that she threw him off. She pretty much was able to properly say the right things to not trigger her heart rate. And that's where Homelander leaves her be. And she was just mortified, like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. So here we move on where Black Noir is in the camera room, chilling with one of the, the IT girls that... You know, I guess there's like a flirty relationship there, kind of. She's an awkward IT girl. He's a superhero that doesn't speak. They're such an odd pair, the odd couple. And they're just there as he's looking for the cameras for anything to help catch the terrorists. And they're looking through the cameras and you find stuff. So here we go where Huey and Annie meet up at Central Park West to catch up what transpired the day before. And Annie is distraught. She can't even. She goes. If she goes back to Vought, she doesn't feel like she's safe, like she's got a bullet, like a freaking live round in her face waiting for her to just be clicked and blown her brains out. She does not feel safe there because she is a mole for the, for the boys. Like she's literally their mole. So she is like shook if like, I can't go, plague me with you just to get away from this for a while. And hesitantly, Mother's Milk is very hesitant. I'm like, you know, yes, she's on our side, but she's definitely gonna catch the wrong kind of attention and we're freaking fugitives who can't have any attention on us because someone's gonna spot her and recognize her. But they go for this trip to the countryside to escape monster society and just literally get away from it all. So they head on a road trip to the countryside. I'm assuming it's the uh, upper, uh, upstate New York or whatever. They're on their way to the, a restaurant diner and they hit up a, they see an 18 wheeler getting out of the restaurant that crashes into a minivan 
and Starlight Annie goes right into superhero mode, almost jumps into action, but Mother Milk holds her back and says, no, you're, this is exactly why I don't want to bring you. You're bringing attention to yourself. You cannot play here out here because they're going to see on cameras what you're doing. Guess who else will be on cameras? Us, and we're going to get caught up. And this is where she wants to help, but she has to hold back and just let it be. And then Mother Milk re-encourages, re listen, the Miniman driver seems safe, and the 18-wheel driver also seems safe. So this is not a situation where you're really all that needed to begin with. So that's good to know. And she just walks away, hesitantly, but she does. And then we move on where Butcher and his ex-wife, Becca, are catching up in a night, and they're getting an odd smashing the back of her CRV or whatever. She got a crossover truck there, and Billy's making promises to save Becca from this this weird um, dystopian life she has with Homelander now, where he's like her hostage. And he's got to find a way to just free her from all this because she's been living on this compound essentially all these years away from society and like a prisoner, even though she's free to go around this little neighborhood. It's not the real world. It's this made up, you know, Truman show world that she's living. That's just so messed up. So we move on where Annie and he, we talk to each other about different things, bad habits, just catching up on how they grew up and things of that nature, almost like half-heartedly flirting again. And yes, they do have a sexual encounter in the motel after all this. They're opening their hearts up again. And then the next day, another beautiful woman complains about her ex. So we go from this sex scene into another clip of this, I guess, psych, uh, psychologist's office. And another different woman is talking about her ex and she got matching Ed Sheeran tattoos with him because he was such a huge Ed Sheeran fan. And not even like two weeks later, this guy dumps her. And she's like, the worst part about it, I fucking hated Sharon. Like, okay, why would, why the hell would you ever, I don't care how far in love you are with someone, getting matching tattoos, especially if something you don't even like, is the dumbest thing ever. Matching tattoos should be something for like uh, best friends, people who grew up together, things like that nature. But getting a matching tattoo would have someone who's not even your spouse, like you're not even married. And look what happened, broke up right after it. I mean, you don't, you got a freaking selfie of Ed Sheeran in your arm, like a half sleeve. That's just wild. That's just like next level, like, uh, eesh, and big mistake for sure. She seems like a nice girl, but definitely she regrets that so much. And I, I would too, considering how freaking huge that was. It wasn't like a freaking song lyric or some sort of little symbol. It's a straight up portrait of them on her arm. And then from this, this is like a nice little you know, dark humor moment, I guess you can call that. We move on where Butcher and his wife have another sexual encounter in the back of her crossover in the moonlight. And they're, she's, they're trying to make it work. He's sneaking in and out of this compound where she's trapped in. And the boys are driving off back to where they have to head out to. And the whole episode is funny because you got Mother's Milk, who's pretty much playing the freaking uh, parental chaperone between Annie and... Huey, who are just singing show tunes and singing songs on the road, and he's not having it. His OCD's kicking in, and they're just throwing him off. His, the whole vibe is weird because he feels like a third wheel there, which he is. I mean, they should have just gone out on their own if they're going to, quote-unquote, escape from reality. They should have just gone their separate ways for the bit. But it's either here or there. So we move on where Homelander and Maeve talk on the Maria Menounos show, and this is where he outs out Maeve for being a lesbian because... Maria Menudo gives a strong question 
about there's not enough diversity in the seven or even most superheroes that most of them tend to be white and not a people of color very small amount or asian hispanic or black and he's like well you happen to know that one of our heroes a train is an african-american male and did you know that mave is actually the a lesbian superhero like she has a relationship with her girlfriend elena like he just flats out outs her in front of the freaking national television and maybe just sits there like oh shit this is happening what the fuck <laughs> i didn't sign up for this i just have to be you know what the hell like that homelander needed some pr help for his quote-unquote image and this was going to help him look better so this is where they go backstage in the studio and then Maeve and him have a conversation and she's like, you better not be threatening Elena. And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm actually happy for you. And Homelander sincerely, I mean, he doesn't seem sincere, but he seems like he has the right motive. He's not angry at her. He's using this as a way to get more brownie points to the general public, you know, just whatever can help make him look better. And like this true like figure of, I represent everyone, you know, we're all represented here. And a political game, it's a, it's a freaking house of cards. It's like literally, this is, this is just house of cards with superpowers, that's what it is. So we move on to where some of the boys arrive at an old black woman's house and they're trying to hear her side of the story on her information on history of liberty. And it's a crazy story because back when she was a kid, her older brother was driving her home on a rainy night and this Lady Liberty character that pops up throughout the episode in like comic book form or whatever, newspaper form, comes up and she didn't want to speak about it. Apparently fought about her out to not talk about the situation. And it's essentially that Lady Liberty killed her brother just because. And then she's like, I can't believe this freaking person is still out and about. And I'm like, huh, what do you mean out and about? Like, and I have an idea who it is. This Lady Liberty character, who would be somewhere in her 70s. Remember the beginning of this, the last review I said, oh, this Stormfront character has got to be in her 70s, but I guess the superhero serum kind of like de-ages them. Yes, Stormfront was once Lady Liberty, or just Liberty, this Liberty character who had a hood on and a mask, domino mask, and now she's hasn't aged in the last 40 plus years. And I'm like, okay, so this whole superhero serum thing definitely makes you age super slow because if she hasn't aged that much in that many years then shit i mean she was this is it this is like the graphic novel coming to screen big screen life it's like okay so this character is her information's out there they gender swap the character okay that's whatever it doesn't bother me in one bit if anything it helps throw a, a curveball because now you don't know exactly who the character is but then you realize oh this is the character whoa, I didn't see that coming. I like when shows do that. You don't see something coming. It's not predictable. It's something different. Plus, the Stormfront character that we're getting on TV suits the 2020 aesthetic of social media, um, likes and all this other bullshit. Like Kind of like an awesome Black Mirror. It, this is crazy. So like, on the last day, they got an interview with her. Um, and then she was hesitant to speak because she bought, bought her out for fucking $2,000. Like her, she was like, I can't believe my brother's uh, life was worth just $2,000 to them. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a testament to the times that her parents are probably terrified that her daughter was next. Especially if they refuse the $2,000 buyout for non-disclosure agreement here. 
I mean, we're talking the 60s, 70s, probably civil rights era stuff. So on one last interview we have here, we're going from all this great content in this episode where we're discovering the origins of Stormfront and how she's like aging super slow like Wolverine and also has always been racist, apparently killing people of color for no fucking reason. And then we move on to a last clip of another lady and the interview shows the deep and it's the co-leader interviewing potential wives of the deep because they want to rehab his image and politic him back into the seven. So these little clips we're getting through the whole episode were different interviews for potential wives for the deep because in order for him to get back in the seven, standings back of women, why not rehab the character of the deep to be this family man who's repenting for his sins and seeing the error of his ways and the light come around and find love by someone who can see his flaws and accept him for who he was and help him become a better man. You know that whole thing because this is all bullshit. This is just all PR to make his, this person look less like a douchebag than he actually is. He's a monster deep. He's got a lot of issues and he reflects it on others and he's not really rehabbing himself. He doesn't really take none of this seriously and he sees himself no differently. I mean, if anything, the most he's ever done was accept his own deformities, quote unquote, his gills. But besides that, he still has barely, I mean, he's become a little more respectful when he's talking to Annie, like he's showing signs of change, but it's not so much like he's changing. It's more like he's knowing how to speak better and how to present himself better in front of people that he doesn't seem to be know how to interact with, which is the female gender, you know, 50% of the world. <laughs> So he's got some things to work out, but his this episode, last episode was an epic fail for him with the whale. That was crazy, but things happen. Poor Lucy, that giant whale just did not deserve to get impaled by a yacht. So yeah, that's that's this episode. That's episodes three and four. Um, it's definitely Stormfront heavy because I said her name more than any other character here. I mean, obviously Homelander is the main antagonist, but. Stormfront is not becoming the dark horse in this. She's definitely someone I gotta be careful with because what is her deal in this? Why hasn't she aged? And also, what does she bring to the table? What is she there? Is she there to overthrow Homelander, who's kind of reckless and someone you can't really trust? We have to wait and see till the next review because I will be continuing this, of course, as always. But um, thank you for listening. This has been the Amazon Prime original series, The Boys, reviews of season two, episodes three and four. And this has been one Puerto Rican powerhouse, Mike for Hire, podcast mercenary, Christian Joel Ramos, signing off until next time. As always, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate the love. And always take care. Stay safe.